Try again. Hello. Let's see if this is going to work this time. I feel time. like the processing time is so much quicker. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's... Li- this is going to drive me crazy. <laughs> this is going to drive me fucking nuts. Um... I don't know why it's it doesn't out ever of all- do that, right? And now it's all of a sudden. Now all of a sudden, the cords are everywhere. <laughs> the quads. The quads. Maybe because it's tangled. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's better. That's- oh, oh my god. Hold on. That is gonna drive me insane. Move the computer towards me because you don't need it to be towards you, and then I'll move it. The- all right. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, you just uh, witnessed us at our finest moment. So thankful that's over with. We didn't even realize we were recording. <laughs> I'm Koel. I'm Kenna. Welcome back to Diagnosing a Killer. Ugh. Cute. Casey is texting me. <laughs> Already. I usually never have my phone on loud. So oh, the fact you that just my phone was it. not on vibrate is like... I should turn awesome. off my thing. I think we should just start this over, honestly. So we do have some... News in the true crime world, um, it was determined today that Brian Laundrie's cause of death was indeed suicide. So that's something uh, just wanting to mention because we had mentioned the Gabby Petito case a few episodes back. And also, I'm not sure if anybody's been listening to, you know, the current true crime stuff, but there was a case in Tennessee and Kentucky where a young boy was taken um, without the permission of the mom by his father. And he also had taken his niece as niece, well. Right, yeah. I won't say the kids' names because they are minors, but Jacob mm. Clare was the man that took his son and his niece uh, without permission from their parents, their other parent and the niece's parents. And we were very concerned. We were crossing our fingers and hoping that this would have a happy ending, and it did. The kids were uh, spotted by a mom dropping her son off at school, mm. and she actually at first she said that she wasn't gonna call, and she was like, "I don't know. Like I'm a little." You know, if you say if you see something, say something. But still, she was like, I, I wasn't sure if it was, you know, exactly what I thought it was or if it wasn't. She's like, but I went ahead and trusted my gut and I called and the police were able to reunite the kids with their parents. So that's really good. We were hoping for that good news and we got it. So I'm happy that they're they're home. I can't imagine how relieved their parents must feel. So yeah, I'm glad that they um, got home safely. Yes, absolutely. So I do have a new case for everybody today and Koel doesn't know what it is. And I don't even know if you know this case, even if I do tell you the name. I'm excited then. So I am going to be I'm talking up to the challenge. about the case of Zachary Bowen and Addie Hall. On October 17th, 2006, around 8.30 p.m., New Orleans police received a disturbing call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. A man's body was on the roof of the parking garage. Hmm. Upon arriving and seeing the body severely mangled, it was very clear that the man had died on impact. Unsure if they had a murder, suicide, or a tragic accident on their hands, the investigators began searching the body for ID. In the man's back pocket, they found a note. It said, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend Addie in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself. Zach Bowen. Yeah, I definitely don't know this case. Oh my god, okay, great. I'm really excited because... That's a lot. That's a a lot of information, like, already. Right? And you're like, 
what happened? Like, what? What is yeah, there actually what? a body? Or is this he just sounds like that? the beginning of you an know? episode of like NCIS. Yeah. So I'm gonna take it way back to when Zach was born. All right. <laughs> Zachary or Zach Bowen was born on May 15th, 1978, in Bakersfield, California, where he spent the majority of his childhood in California. For the most part, he grew up as pretty normal. He was a really well-adjusted all-American boy. People mm-hmm. would say about him. However, he's noted as being extremely concerned with letting people down throughout his life, Hmm. and he was terrified to come across to anybody as a failure. Mm -hmm. He was really scared of letting people down. When Zach was in high school, his parents actually got divorced, paving a way for him to spiral into a really bad depressive state. Hmm. Um, So he decided to give his life a fresh start somewhere else. He moved from Sacramento, California, where he had been living at the time with his mom and attending high school, to New Orleans, Louisiana, to live with his father. Okay. Once arriving, Zach finished his high school education and proceeded to get a job as a bartender when he was 18. While bartending on Bourbon Street, Zach met 28-year-old Lana Shupak. Lana was originally from Florida and worked as a stripper at the time of their meeting. Okay. Keep in mind, she's 28 and he's 18. Yeah. So a little bit of an age gap. Right. I mean, he's an adult, but still. Nah. Zach and Lana took an immediate interest in each other and began dating pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, only after a short time of dating, Lana finds out that she's pregnant with Zach's child. What? Okay. Even though Zach was going to be a young father, he completely embraced the situation, and the couple eventually got married. Right? Sure, he's so, young and dumb. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like <laughs> pretty decent so far. Uh, when their first child, Jackson, was born, Zach decided to quit his job and better support his family by joining the army. Okay. He later enlisted in the army and served in Kosovo and Iraq tours. And during the time in the service, he actually rose to the rank of sergeant. So he was doing pretty well in the, okay. in the military. Yeah. Uh, There was a specific incident that had haunted Zach for the rest of his life. He had befriended a young Iraqi boy while he was serving. However, he later found out that the boy was killed days later as punishment for interacting with Americans. So it was really sad. He felt immense survivor guilt and his mental health declined rapidly at this point. Uh, So a few years after being on the front lines, Zach was generally discharged. So Mm. not honorably, not not honorably or dishonorably, just generally. Because of this situation, this put a lot of stress and sadness on Zach, since, again, a general discharge is not the same as an honorable discharge. Mm-hmm. He felt as if all of the shit that he had gone through was kind of, like, for nothing, yeah. you know? Regardless, he returns home to New Orleans, but begins to have more problems and starts arguing a lot with his wife, Lana. Hmm. Now, the tour in the military seemed to take a huge toll on Zach's mental health, and he eventually developed PTSD because okay. of it. Yeah. Uh, sadly, like most military veterans. Yeah. One source was quoted as saying about Zach and Lana's marriage upon his return, quote, according to his wife, Lana, he was a completely different person when he returned, and they soon faced marital problems and eventual separation. Um, so even though they were no longer together, Zach had still had to pay child support. At this point, they now had two children together. Yeah. And he actually when resumed... did they have the second baby? It doesn't... It didn't say. Maybe... Maybe before. Uh, so he actually returned to his job as a bartender. Mm-hmm. Uh, for tourists, it said, like, he worked on Bourbon Street again. You know a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's all um, part of their, most of their economy in New Orleans. Yes. So after returning to work as a bartender, he very quickly meets a new co-worker of his, a girl named Addie Hall. Mm-hmm. Addie was known to many of her friends to be super free-spirited, extremely creative. She originally grew up in the Northeast, and she actually came from a really toxic and abusive household. Uh, but when she moved to New Orleans, she was able to be her own individual, mm-hmm. really free-spirited. Okay. She actually rode her bike from the French Quarter every day to work, and that was her main form of transportation. Cute. So, like, real hippie-esque, you yeah. know, just kind of like, whatever. She's got a little Razor scooter. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. She was uh, noted as being artistic in several ways. She was a dancer, an artist, a poet, and a seamstress. Hmm. A lot of a lot of traits. Yeah. 
Um, so she lives an independent bohemian lifestyle, like mm-hmm. I said, in New Orleans, but she too struggles with her own mental health mm-hmm. and inner demons. According to many of her friends, she struggled with undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, she was known to get very aggressive and very violent after having too much to drink. So Ugh. she was one of those mean, dr- mean drunks. But it was like every yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Uh, she also had a history of being in abusive relationships, and of course she was terrified to fall into another one. Mm-hmm. So meeting Zach, she was very unsure about him at first, as she was one of the only girls, coworkers, and customers alike that was not falling all over him. Mm-hmm. Zach was a tall, attractive man. Everybody wanted to be friends with him. Yeah. Everybody wanted a part of him, you know? Yeah. And she was kind of turned off by the idea that everyone wanted him. She's like, I'm not going to be, you know, in the in crowd. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of he's course. not that great. She doesn't know? seem like the kind of person that's kind of a follower at this yeah, point. Yeah, of she course. She definitely seems like she, like you said, she's really free-spirited. So. Yeah. She, uh, eventually... They begin talking just, you know, as coworkers. You can't work with someone and not talk to them. Mm-hmm. And she began to realize that they actually had a lot in common. Uh, she started to test the waters by, like, teasing him in a flirty way to see if he could, like, handle her, you know, the yeah. way that she is. Um, well, despite her assumptions, Zach was actually really interested in her from the start. Hmm. And he was, she was actually the only girl that he was interested in. Well, and I guess it cute. was maybe because she wasn't anybody, like, falling all over him like right. everyone else. She was the only one. Uh, they both shared the same young and crazy lifestyle, and they really bonded over it. How old is she? I'm sorry. Uh, he's about 27 at this time. She's, I think she's very close in age to mm-hmm. him as well. Uh, so they both loved the nightlife. They loved partying. They both liked doing drugs. Of course, they liked to drink a lot, mm-hmm. being bartenders. Being newly single, Zach finally felt as if he was able to have fun and let loose mm-hmm. with Addie. Yeah. And they're both constantly craving adrenaline and living to the fullest. However, many of their friends thought, since they were both constantly fueled on drugs and alcohol, it wasn't going to be a good relationship. Yeah. Especially from the start, they were like, this is going to be pretty mm-hmm. tumultuous. Now, despite their friends' judgments, they started their relationship and quickly were starting to fall in love. Everything seemed to be going really well for them. But keep in mind, it's 2005 and they live in New Orleans. Yeah. So Katrina is quickly approaching their mm-hmm. city. In the days and weeks leading up to Katrina... Of course, many residents were strongly advised to evacuate because it wouldn't be safe. Yeah. In fact, Zach was actually asked by Lana to evacuate with her and their children together. Yeah. He refused. Make sure that baby daddy's okay. Yeah. He refused. Instead, he wanted to stay in the city and ride out the storm with Addie in her apartment. So both of them were going to stay and just kind of let let it pass. Oh my God. While Lana, of course, thought this decision was incorrect and reckless and immature, she wasn't able to convince Zach to leave. So Zach and Addie proceeded to stay there, embrace the storm together, along with other residents. I mean, they weren't mm-hmm. the only people that stayed yeah. behind. They spent most of their time doing drugs and drinking. Once the storm was over, it passed. Uh, they were stranded in, like, a little community of people. They had no electricity, no running water, no air conditioning, and very limited resources. Of yeah. course, it was detrimental, that storm. Um, yet, they actually loved everything about it. This so-called post-apocalyptic lifestyle... Hmm. They would actually go into, like, abandoned bars together and, like, gather the alcohol so that they could make cocktails for people. What? Yeah. And they would make cocktails in exchange for people's, like, food and water. So they were kind of, like, bartending like without really bartending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they would light debris and mattresses on fire in the mm-hmm. street to cook and stay warm at night. Mm-hmm. And everyone that was left behind in New Orleans was having, like, a big old camping trip, pretty much, like, yeah. in their city. Well... This is all fun and games. This is cool. But what happens if something bad happens and they need assistance? Like, right. There's no, you know, emergency services. Yeah. I, I don't by any means want people to think that we're saying that 
like, oh, what a fun time. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it was a camping trip. Like, of course. Were, of yeah. course. But that's how they perceived it. Right. Yeah. And uh, by they were, accounts, they were trying to make a, uh, what is that? The best of a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. So there were police around. I don't want to say emergency services, but there were police in case of emergencies. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to keep the police in their area and coming around, Addie would just flash them her breast when they would drive by so that what? they would continue to come by. Oh my and God. And it kind of worked. <laughs> they were like patrolling the area. Like, yeah. wow. They actually had so much like presence, favors, you know, all the things they were doing. It actually caught the attention of the media. Hmm. The couple was even featured in several newspapers, including the New York Times. What? People were actually describing them as the, quote, king and queen of Hurricane Katrina survivalists. God, how does that not feed an ego? Right, and there was so many pictures. If you Google their names, the first thing that pops up are these pictures. Really? From the... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And, of course, at this point, they were head over heels in love with each other. Yeah. This literally brought them as close as they've ever been ever been look this is a picture of them out out there in the oh, little wow. camp okay. yeah yeah they have to be around the same age i would think yeah they ultimately decided this is the way they want to live their lives no rules party whenever no responsibility you don't have to pay he has for anything children though oh yeah he's got two kids you can't just like not just like oh i love this life no responsibility well, he thought he could that's awful now, they thought this whole experience was an adventure, and if anything, they didn't want civilization civilization to ever return. Yeah. But eventually, of course, the city slowly started to repopulate, build itself back up. Mm-hmm. As they progressed again to civilization, their relationship began to take a downward spiral, because they're no longer able to do this free spirit, do whatever the hell we want kind yeah, of thing. Things are returning to normal. Every time that they drive <laughs> back. No, flash, flash <laughs> cops. Is what I, I thought you said flash their cocks. They're just like, out there flashing cops. cops. <laughs> yeah. No, I... So funny. No, flashing the cops. <laughs> so their relationship was quickly becoming very toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of them were ready to start facing the real world again. They didn't want to pay bills, follow a routine, go to work. They just wanted to camp out in Louisiana. Whatever. Go out to the mountains. Right? Zach... Of course, like we said, no longer wanted to co-parent. He never wanted to play, pay child support or even deal with his ex-wife, Lana. That's awful. On the other hand, Addie didn't want those responsibilities that came with Zach. The kids and the all babies, that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She only wanted him, not his life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, at this point, the honeymoon phase quickly ended. <laughs> she on- didn't want the responsibility, right? Which yeah. is, like, stupid because you knew what you were walking into. Yeah. And on top of this... They were both using an extreme amount of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Still. One of their friends, who actually went by the nickname Squirrel, said he supplied both of them during this time with a steady Squirrel? stream. Squirrel? Yes. Okay. He said he supplied both of them during during this time with a steady stream of cocaine. <laughs> you add cocaine to any situation like that, and it's yeah, not good. Yeah, especially when people are avid drinkers. Yes. And according to a lot of their friends, they said that they were constantly arguing and complaining about the other person to, like, their friends. So, yeah, it's one of those relationships. <laughs> Um, so their fights became much more explosive when the couple had a lot of physical uh, altercations throughout yeah. their relationship. They were also noted as being in a constant cycle of breaking up and getting back together. Hmm. Unfortunately, they were still both hooked on chasing the highs and lows of frequently pushing the other one away and then chasing them back down to get back together. They, like, liked that. They, like, thrived on that. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's never a dull moment, right? Yeah. So after a few months of this, uh, this abusive and toxic relationship, the relationship state completely deteriorated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zach wanted out for good, but Addie tricked him into giving her one final chance. I think before this, they were living together and he was 
I think I heard somewhere on another podcast I listened to that he was trying to hang out with the kids, but Addie, like, didn't want to be... And, the, and Lana wasn't comfortable with the kids being with him and Addie unless she met Addie. So yeah. she was like, okay, like, let me She's meet her and then we parent. can... Exactly. Let me meet her and then I don't care. You, you can have the kids over. But then Addie, like, met her and was, like, so nice. Like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to see the kids. And then when the kids came over, she, like, completely ignored them and was, like, rude to them and stuff. She didn't want his life, like we said. Yeah, she no, wanted... it sounds like I have heard that where significant others won't let their partners see their own children because those children come from a previous relationship and mm-hmm. you're so controlling. Yeah. You, like, every time you see that kid, it reminds you of the former partner. Which is, like, so fucking immature. Yeah, the, like... Children are individuals as well. Yeah. Like, just because they, they can't help where they biologically come from. Yeah, like, that just, like, know? screams your insecurities. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you should only be supportive of the fact that you know that your partner is half of those children. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like I had said, Zach wanted out of the relationship, but Addie tricked him into giving her a final chance. So she asked him if he wanted to start fresh with her and move back into an apartment together. So she was going to, she's like, okay, we're going to put everything away, past is the past, let's start over. Is she going to get a job this time? She had an ulterior motive. Okay. They walked down Rampart Street and came across a for rent sign. An apartment above the famed Voodoo Temple at the time was immediately available, and with months worth of tips in their pockets, because they had both returned to work as bartending. Okay, As bartenders. Yeah. They made an offer right away, and they moved into 826 North Rampart. Oh. Remember from the beginning? Yeah. (laughs) It was foreshadowing, and you didn't even know it. (laughs) Zach actually paid the first two months of rent in advance, and the lease was put in both of their names. Okay. Well, the screaming matches continued, of course. Yeah. And Zach actually became unfaithful. So he was known around the quarter for his looks, like I said. Didn't have a problem with little flings with people around. Uh, This was the last straw for Addy. And again, I told you that he paid two months rent in advance. Mm Mm-hmm. She went to the landlord a few days later and put the lease in her name only and kicked Zach out later that night. What? How can she do that? So she had asked him to remove Zach from the lease. The landlord refused and advised her to work out her issues with the boyfriend on her own. Yeah. So maybe she just told him that she put it on her name only and you're like, you have to leave because you're not alone on the lease. Yeah. But the the conversation with the landlord, which was unfortunately the last time that anybody saw Addie alive. Damn. Uh, Once Zach learned of this. Of course, he was very angry and Mm -hmm. became inconsolable pretty quickly. Getting scammed and kicked out of his apartment was his final straw. So she said that she wanted to, like, make everything better. Mm -hmm. She got... They found the apartment. Zach was like, oh, yeah, like, we'll have everything work out. Like, we'll get an apartment together. She knew that he was going to do that. Like, she paid for the apartment. Yeah, like, she got... She told him that she wanted to work things out, knowing that he had enough money to pay for rent in advance, and then she knew what she was going to do. Like, as soon as the rent was paid, uh, she was going to tell him to fuck off. That's awful. Right? I mean, she doesn't deserve to get killed for it, but yes, it is very awful. Well, no, but, you know, that's still fucked up. so toxic on on so many levels. Now, remember, like I said, Zach had been diagnosed with PTSD, and at this point, he was brutally abusing all types of drugs and alcohol, so this was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. On the night of October 5th, 2006, Zach returned to the apartment to wait for Addie. I guess she had gone out to get something. Mm -hmm. And upon her return, there was a heated argument. Zach strangled Addie to death in the apartment. In his own words, he, quote, calmly strangled her until she died. Jesus. Yes. It's horrifying. Uh, when he killed Addie, he was both in a very intoxicated state, as well as reaching a boiling breaking point in his yeah. mental health. After Addie was gone, 
Zach actually committed necrophilia and fell asleep next to her corpse. Ugh. I know. Um, when he woke up, he got dressed and ready for work like it was a normal day, leaving Addie's body in the apartment. Eventually, in the following days after her murder, he had a very disturbing strategy when it came to disposing her body. Content warning. He brought her body into the bathtub and started to cut her apart using a knife and a hacksaw. These parts of her body that were cut were put in pots and pans and then stored in the fridge, on the stove, and in the oven. What? Police originally thought that this might have been linked to cannibalism, but they weren't able to prove that. Ever. I mean, I'm sorry to go back to it, but, like, it's on top of a voodoo shop. Yeah. Like, that's scary. That'll come back around in a minute. I know. It became clear to police after, you know, Zach's suicide, they looked at his digestive system, there was no human remains or flesh. Mm -hmm. So the only purpose of the dismemberment and the pots and pans, I guess, was disposal. Yeah. This sounds really grotesque. I don't know. Was it on, like, the oven? Is that what you mean? Or, like, well, the stove on the oven? Okay, well, there has been instances where people do that. I know. Where that. they cook people yeah. just to dispose of them. I I do believe that it was it was on, or it was on it, at some point. Yeah. Maybe not when there the was police a, arrived. There was but, a potential for that. Yes. Yeah. I think that he probably... I mean, I don't know. The fact that he left out there and then went, you know, and killed now, himself. I remember, that- she, she died on October 5th, and they didn't find him till October 17th. So he was, like, two weeks He must have... This. I'm sorry, but he must have sobered up and been like, the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, during this time, between Addie's death and Zach's death, they said... A lot of his friends said that he started to act very strange and was a lot quieter than normal. Mm-hmm. Since they had a lot of mutual friends, of course, people start asking like, where the hell she Addie? went. Yeah. They're and Zach, so inseparable. He would just say that she went back to North Carolina, where she was originally from. Hmm. Uh, some friends were surprised by the answer because they were like, What? Others, not so much, because she was such a free spirit. They yeah. Like, I mean, I could see. I could see it. Yeah. And her bipolar disorder made her very unpredictable. Right. So it seemed fitting to people that during this time in their relationship that she would run back north, you know? But obviously but this was is... ever like, let me come check out your new apartment. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, know. I don't know. There are uh, people, again, there might have been suspicions. It's like when we talked about the Kristen Gilbert case. Like, there was suspicions. Nobody ever really wants to believe that. So yeah. it's kind of like... Oh, sure, drugs are going missing, however, like, oh, you're the angel of death, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, this was all a lie, and Zach knew exactly what happened. Um, He finally came to a realization about what he was doing and completely fell apart. Yeah. He metaphorically and physically beat himself to death over feeling no sense of empathy when he murdered his girlfriend. He He felt shitty for not feeling shitty. Yeah. It was at this point where he truly let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, days before taking his own life, he went to the absolute max level when it came to partying. Yeah. He went into overdrive. He spent thousands of dollars at the strip club, drinking, doing drugs. He slept with multiple people, multiple prostitutes, probably other women. Think, I mean, he probably knew it was going to kill him. Oh, of course. Yeah. As soon as he spent the last of his money, he went to the rooftop of the Omni Royal Hotel on the 17th of October. He opened up a tab on the roof bo- rooftop bar and drank to the point of being blackout drunk. The security cameras at the hotel actually captured him approaching the terrace and looking over it several times. He was, like, contemplating. Yeah. Finally, he drank a final drink and then threw himself to his death. The police also noticed that Zach's body was covered in bruises that didn't look like they correlated with his jump. Yeah. Um, it turns out, in one source, it said that the bruises were self-inflicted. One account said they were bruises, but another one said that they were cigarette burns. Hmm. There was 28 
to be exact, as they represented every year that he was a failure. That's a quote from his confession. Wow. He was 28 years old. <laughs> I just got, like, the heaves and Ugh. the jeebs. Yeah. That's horrible. Now, I'm going to go back to right after the police find this note, and then we're going to go from there. Police, of course, rushed to the address listed and came upon something out of a horror film. Yeah. In order to prevent Addie's remains from decomposing slower and not smelling, the temperature in the apartment was turned down to 60 degrees. So it was like a... He did that on purpose. The police said that the temperature and smell felt similar to a meat locker. Wow. The bathroom was cleaned of Addie's blood, and Zach had spray-painted his thoughts across the walls of the apartment with statements such as, quote, I love her quote, I'm a total failure, and quote, look in the oven. Isn't that so scary? I hate hate that. Everything about that. I have full body goosebumps right now. There were instructions to call Zach's ex-wife, Lana, and tell her that he loved her. One message on the wall directed them uh, to the stove. Content warning. On the stove in a pot on one of the burners was a human head burned beyond recognition. In another pot were hands and feet, and inside the oven in a large roasting pan were arms and legs also burnt. On a pan? Investigators noticed that there appeared to be seasoning on the limbs, and on the counter next to the stove were cut up potatoes and carrots. Inside the refrigerator, a large plastic bag, they found the torso. As horrifying as this was for police, they would soon find even more disturbing evidence in Addie Hall's journal. Here, police found an eight-page confession letter written by Zach. The full confession letter is actually not available to read online, uh, but I do have some excerpts from it. In the letter, Zach explained that he'd, quote, always known he was a terrible person and his actions scared him. He said he knew that he had to take his own life in order to pay for the one that he took. So I am going to read an excerpt from the letter. Quote, Today is Monday, 16 October, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m., Thursday, 5 October. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to Plan B, the crime scene you are now standing in, came after a while. I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years and then desecrating her body, but by my entire, entire lack of remorse. I've known for forever how horrible of a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the $1,500 cash I had being happy until I killed myself. So, that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and any loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that'll explain the shock. And I had fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. Isn't that so haunting? That is haunting. And eerie and terrible it's hard like i don't like i feel badly for him like (sighs) like you want to like you almost feel bad for feeling bad like you want to you want to hate him for what he did but you're like right that guy was hurting so fucking much you can tell so i have a little bit of aftermath here that's that's the whole case but i have a little bit of aftermath less than a decade after the murder a woman named mary quote voodoo queen milan leased the building on Rampart Street, and set up shop as, quote, Bloody Mary Haunted Museum and Tour. For a fee, visitors are let into the Bowen Hall apartment to view the very stove and fridge where Addie's remains were found. That's horrifying. Oh my god, this woman. Why wasn't that removed? 
Reports are that the apartment was decorated like a horror film, complete with fake blood splashes and a bride and groom set of Chucky dolls. This, like, pisses me off. This pisses me off, too. One friend of the couple called it, quote, despicable and atrociously exploitative. Milan defends her tours, saying that it educates people about the crime and is quoted as saying it'd be stupid to pretend they weren't here. She said detractors are jealous they didn't do this first. Ew! Literally. However, her website doesn't directly mention the crime scene, though Yelp reviews definitely confirm that it's still there and people are very excited to see it. Ugh. I know. Th- there's no way it's the same stove. She probably put in a new stove and then oh, said no, that. Man. And Did 20- she literally go upstairs and was like, here's $5,000, I want to buy this apartment as uh, is. I mean, maybe. The landlord I wonder if there's spray paint like, on the work walls. work your shit out on your own, he probably feels guilty as fuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, in 2017, the TLC series Paranormal Lockdown actually did an episode inside the apartment, which notably was no longer decorated like a low-budget horror film. <laughs> the investigators... How is that not explo- exploitative, though? I don't know. The quote-unquote investigators reported sensing a cold draft despite the windows being closed and a quote-unquote presence in the bathroom. There's a... <laughs> It's called an air conditioner, yeah. and the presence it is was. probably a mirror in your crew, but go ahead. The our apartment goes down to 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's one of the features that you'll see on, yeah. yeah. So, coming full circle, of course, what makes this case, you know, kind of tug on your heartstrings, if you will, is that it could have been completely preventable. Yeah. Both of their mental healths were at such low points that they became an aggressor for the other person. Like, they right. were feeding off of each other's negative energy. Yeah. Um, they, of course, both could have gone on to have very successful and happy lives, but the problem was they needed to be apart in order for that to happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's absolutely the definition of codependency, yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. Friends of the couple actually described them as normal, good people, uh, and they said that perhaps Zach just snapped and killed himself because he couldn't live with what he had done, which yeah, I believe. of course. Uh, they said maybe, Ma- maybe Addie was abusive, as had been told, and maybe Zach always had demons, and they finally caught up with him. But all we know for now is that two young people's lives ended very tragically, yeah. and their story will live on forever. I do think that, too. I feel <laughs> like just what little we've gotten to know about Zach Bowen is that... He doesn't seem like he was a bad guy. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like... And again, I'm not saying, like, he should have... If he had lived, he should have paid for the crime. Of Absolutely. Course, of I'm course. not saying that whatsoever. But I do feel like that his suicide was a result of the guilt that he felt of and course. not him trying to escape yeah, absolutely. Uh, responsibility. Absolutely. And the fact that they both had undiagnosed mental health disorders. I mean, I don't know if Zach's di- PTSD was ever actually diagnosed or if it was just a We can assume he's seen some shit of if course. he served overseas. So I wanted to quickly mention a side note of a related case, because this does kind of relate. It's another case, but it kind of relates to this case. So there was actually a documentary done about Zach and Addie, as well as other interviews for televisions and online media, and they brought to light a close friend of the couple named Margaret Sanchez. Her tears of devastation at the loss of her, quote, best friends is unnerving. So she actually pleaded guilty and was subsequently convicted in the 2012 death and dismemberment of Jaron Lockhart, who was a Bourbon Street dancer and young mother. So Margaret and her boyfriend, who she knew as Alan at the time, they actually went to a gentleman's club on Bourbon Street and lured Jaron with the promise of a hefty paycheck for a private performance. They took her to their home, stabbed her in the chest, cut up her body, and threw it over a bridge, resulting in her remains washing up on several different Mississippi Gulf Coast beaches. 
Terry Speaks Allen, obviously his name wasn't Allen, he lied. Uh, he was a registered sex offender from North Carolina who violated his probation and had a long history that Margaret was unaware of. In 2015, he was convicted of second-degree murder following a trial where he fired his attorneys and took his own defense. Idiot. <laughs> yeah, that totally works. That always works. So, um, Margaret Sanchez was later sentenced to 40 years plus 20 for a second-degree murder charge, as well as obstruction of justice and conspiracy to commit murder. And she claimed that she was, like, really good friends with she says Zach that, and Addie? Yes, yeah, she's, like, best friends with, with them. So, they were... Was that true? Yes. So, oh, okay. here, I'm getting here. Margaret and Terry, a.k.a. Allen, were identified in a surveillance video dated June 6, 2012 from the club that Jaron worked at. Mm -hmm. One of the employees of the club first reported Allen, Terry, as he recognized him as a previous employee of the club next door and remembered Jaron leaving with him and another woman, later mm -hmm. identified as Margaret Sanchez. Okay. The video was broadly distributed on local news channels, and Margaret's own brother actually reported them to the authorities. LOL. <laughs> so six days later, on June 12th, the couple was arrested at a traffic stop near their home. When she was interviewed, this is where it comes full circle, she said that she was aware of the dancer's demise since it was broadcast on the local news. She was like, oh, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I know who she is because it was on the news. It was on the news. Whatever. Yeah. She related that it was similar to how her best friend died and said, quote, I feel so bad for her family because I had a friend. My friend was Addie Hall. She was cut up and was cooked and her boyfriend jumped off a hotel. She sounds like the most compassionate person. They're trying to play her out to be like an emotionally vulnerable woman who said that she loved her boyfriend and he took care of her needs. And as far as, as she was concerned, he was a good man. But when she found out about who he really was, she said, quote, I feel betrayed, heartbroken. I mean, my life was shit when I met him. So the reason I bring this up is because obviously this Margaret lady is dumb and full of shit because she helped him <laughs> commit the murder and yeah. like chop this person. Yeah. But... These deaths are frequently compared. Mm -hmm. uh, these cases are frequently compared. The two tragedies of the French Quarter, uh, that of Zach and Addie and Jaron Lockhart. Interesting. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention that briefly. We might we might do an episode on that case, but that's the case of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. It was a little bit of a, I guess, mini um, episode, but... Yeah. I... Tiny. ...really enjoyed listening to that case, and I just thought it was very fitting to what we're talking about because yeah. of the mental health aspect of it and Zach PT with her PTSD, with PTSD and then yeah. Maddie with her uh, bipolar diagnosed or undiagnosed bipolar but isn't that wild it is wild like I mean I feel I feel so badly for both of them and again, I do we too. don't want to feel bad it's... for the killer but we feel bad for the mental influence you know yeah poor... and clearly it was sounded like a spiral that they couldn't get out of yeah and that's really yeah I mean, even in situations like that, like, I feel like friends could have kind of spoken up or said something. I really feel like maybe at least Zach might have been receptive to the idea of maybe getting help, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, again, like, I've been in a domestic violence situation, and I don't feel like a lot of people said anything while I was in it. And I feel like if someone had, mm -hmm. then I might not have been there for five years, almost. Yeah. So... Yeah, I wonder about that. Um, if if they had had somebody to tell them, like, or be like, hey, like, really yeah. concerned for you guys. Like, we want you guys to be safe and figure figure all this out, whether that means you're going to be together or not, you know? Yeah. And it truly is, uh, it really resonates with the whole, like, you know, you can, you can do everything right. Like, Lana, you know, she did everything that she could and while still being able to take care of her children properly right. to help Zach. And yeah. unfortunately, in cases like that, if someone's not willing to help themselves, and there's really not much else you can do for right. them except yeah. for offer them those resources That's and true. hope that they take them. You know? Right. 
Um, so I think we will get more into PTSD. I think I'm going to do that for my next mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely go into that a little bit more in depth in the mental breakdown. But thanks for listening. I, yeah. Like, this is one of my, I don't want to say favorite cases. That sounds bad. But this has been one of my favorite ones to research. It's been on and your to, mind, yeah. Yeah, and to uh, explain for everyone. So, yeah, I think we're... We're probably done. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> right. else to add. Sounds good. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Give I the plugs. That, yeah. Um, oh, yes. We can. You can follow us on Instagram at Diagnosing a Killer. We have Twitter at Killer Diagnosis. We also have a Patreon set up, uh, patreon.com slash Diagnosing a Killer. We got our second Patreon. It's me. And... <laughs> <laughs> You can email us at diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. If you want us to cover a specific case, please let us know. Or if you want us to do a specific diagnosis for mental breakdown, please let us know as well. We're now on Audible, Amazon Audio. We're on uh, Google Podcasts. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, we are actually on now. I said that a couple episodes ago and it was incorrect. (laughs) But yeah, please uh, give us a follow. Give us a subscribe um share us tell your tell your friends tell your friends and yeah we'll see you guys next time all right love you love you bye. bye